Let's get started with our sermon today. Um, today's from the Sermon on the Mount, which you might have, you know, surmised from, from the prayer today. And let me read, let me read um, the Sermon on the Mount, and then, and then uh, I'll share some thoughts. Matthew 5, verse 1 says, One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up onto the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what is right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. The lectionary would have us go through the Sermon of the Mount for maybe the next two, maybe three or four weeks. But I, I particularly love the Sermon of the Mount and, and the Beatitudes because I think it is one of the most essential passages for us in terms of Christian discipleship that we might continue on a little bit longer even after the lectionary kind of kind of would lead us to, to another direction. Um, so if we kind of keep on coming back to it, just know that that, that might be one of the reasons. But the first part that we're studying today, today that we're looking at is this, this passage that's often called the Beatitudes. A quiz for you. What does Beatitude mean? Does anyone know? Mm -mm. Doesn't. No. Beautiful. 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 Beatitude is Latin for beautiful. So Beatitudes, it's uh, beautiful platitudes, beautiful sayings. Mm. And... I, I love the Beatitudes, and I worry that they're so beautiful that sometimes we think of them as just as works of art, just to be looking. And they're not. The Beatitudes, I think, are the most fundamental text for Christian discipleship. Not necessarily theology, but discipleship. The idea of living out our lives as followers of Christ. Amen. See, we have the words of Jesus and we have the ministry of Jesus in the Gospels, but we actually don't have long pieces of his teaching. We know more of what he did and actually not a whole ton of what he taught. If, to use contemporary words, the, the red letters. If you look at the red letters in your Bible, remember those like old books that you flip? The old ones. The one I have. Yes, the one Wendy has. If you look at Wendy's Bible, it has red letters, right? Our apps have red letters. Those are the words of Jesus. We don't have a whole ton of them. This is the longest segment of the teachings of Jesus mm -hmm. that we have. Really? For us as Christians, 
to be followers of Jesus, this should be our bread and butter every single day. Because it is the teachings of the Lord. The, 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 the direct teachings from the source of the Lord. And the Beatitudes are so beautiful. In fact, I grew up with my grandmother, uh, my, my paternal grandmother, who has a picture of the Beatitudes in the living in the dining room. And they're like, they're always there. And I think of them as something that is like pictured, embroidered, uh, you know, that a lot of people have on their walls. They are indeed beautiful, but they're just so much more that they're, that they're beautiful. They are our manual for Christian living, for Jesus living. See, for, for the longest time in, in our understanding of Christianity, maybe the last 50, 75 years, we've had a lot of emphasis on right belief. And there's nothing wrong with that. Right belief matters. But what the Beatitudes and the Sermon of the Mount does is it teaches us right action right behavior. And what we know from the teachings of Jesus is that Jesus cares about both. Believing in Jesus, but also acting Jesus-y. Jesus-y. Right? <laughs> we so often believe Jesus, but we're not Jesus-y. And I worry about that. Because that is not true gospel living. Those are systems of belief that might make us feel really, really good about ourselves, but are not producing Christian discipleship fruit. Mm. Our lives need to be characterized by being Jesus-y, by being Christian, not just by our right belief, but by our right behavior, right? And that's maybe the, just, the juxtaposition between like John 3.16, which is beautiful for, for God so loved the world. That's belief. God loves the world. He gave his son for me. Yes, that's great. But then Matthew 5 and 6 and 7 is what happens when you believe that. The Beatitudes are in juxtaposition to that idea because they are about our daily life. And what I worry about such a beautiful text that just like my grandmother, I'm going to say my grandmother was not doing this. She's, she's a great person. But we can just so easily be like, oh my gosh, how beautiful. I'm going to put it on the wall. Right? And not let it actually change and challenge the way I live my life. Living out the Beatitudes, Jesus tell us, tells us exactly what's going to happen at the end if you live out the Beatitudes. The systems of power and the world <coughs> around us is not going to like it. Mm -mm. It's not going to like it. When you live out the things that Jesus is, is asking of us, mm -hmm. the world around you, the city of man, to use St. Augustine's language, right? If you live out the city of God right now inside of the city of man, the city of man is not going to like it. That's one of the reasons why Jesus was crucified. Because he lived like that. Because he challenged these systems of power and oppression. Because to live out and to be Jesus-y is to challenge what is going on in our world right now. Even more so after this horrible week and the whole news and everything that we all saw. We need more Jesus-y action. We need to really internalize the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount and understand not just right belief. Right belief matters, but also right action. So let's start with what Jesus says. 
with the very first one. Um, I think I'm going to get through maybe four, three, four, five. I'm making no promises. <laughs> Let me open up my notes. I love the NLT, which is the, the, the translation we normally use. But I think for most of us, if you memorize the Beatitudes, you probably have them in, in, in a different, slightly different version. In King James, probably. The King James, so yeah, the, yeah. That old one. The, the old one. Um, in the King James, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Again, it sounds really beautiful, but what does it mean? So there's a couple of things that I think Jesus is trying to tell us here. First, when you're reading the Beatitudes, you need to read them maybe starting with the second part first and then go to the first part. So the, first, the second part is theirs is the kingdom. So if you want the kingdom of God, the city of God to be yours, this is what you have to do. Ready? Be poor in spirit. Be poor. I don't like that. <laughs> I work really hard not to be poor, right? We... We, I, I literally work inside of a system that is trying to bring kids from low-income backgrounds and catapult them into the American middle class. That's part of the work that I do every single day at work. The eradication of poverty is part of what we're doing, right? And Jesus is saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying is that to be part of the kingdom of God, you need to have spiritual humility. Yes. Yeah. We can so easily try to make sense of, of this divine thing, this, this godless thing, this, this, the God of the cosmos and the universe thing, and pretend that we actually have it all figured out and make edicts and statements as if we truly knew the mind of God and we can start judging and labeling and saying who's in and who's out and who's right and who's wrong. But Jesus is reminding us that if you want to be a part of the kingdom, you need to have spiritual humility. One of the Jesus-y things that characterizes Christ's followers and Jesus' followers is spiritual humility. It is a deep, deep understand of the understanding of the vastness the infiniteness of the nature of God, of the love of God, of the grace of God, that we would not so dare to try to make an edict on God's behalf of who is in and who is out. Amen. Spiritual humility is, I, I really, I, I love wise, humble people that like, I'm, I'm a reactive type of person, right? I see something and I immediately have an opinion on it. I see something and I immediately know exactly what to do. And, and I just, I'm so jealous of people that are so just wiser than me that are like, wait a second, let's consider this. Is that really what is happening? Right? Um, I love the idea that, you know, whenever you're texting with someone, and texting is just such an awful means of communication. It is. But if you have, if you have iPhones, when the next person is texting you, you see the dots? And you're already making up a story, aren't you? And then you see the dots and they disappear. And then you just made up another story. <laughs> you are filling in the gaps. You know what X person is saying, but in your head, you're already writing a whole novel, what they're about to write you, and then what they deleted, and then what they're writing again. A lot of our lives are, li are lived in that same spiritual way. In between texts, between me and God, 
I'm seeing the dots and I'm filling in the blanks. I'm telling myself a story. And what Jesus is saying is that kingdom people are poor in spirit. They're spiritually humble. And I think of this as maybe a divine pause. Jesus' people have a divine pause in them. What's that word mean? Pause. We, we, can, we can stop. We stop. can take a break. Pause. Yeah. Jesus' people can be slow to action. Not just quick to action. All the time. And that's hard. Because we're reactive. I'm reactive. I want, I'm impatient. I want things to be done right now, today. I don't understand why everything takes so long. Right? Jesus is saying that if you want to be part of the city of God, you will be characterized by spiritual humility. That's hard. Second, and by the way, as I'm reading all of these, I'm thinking, remember a couple of weeks ago, I was preaching when the, the John the Baptizer story and Jesus, and, and Jesus tells the disciples, what do you want? Mm. I kind of hear Jesus saying like, what do you want? Because what I'm about to give you, I don't think you're going to like, right? <laughs> And I think that's exactly what, what, what he was getting at. Second blessing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I find this so refreshing because I find it to be exactly the opposite of gaslighting. Jesus is not saying, when you're hurting, no, 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 it's okay, you're going to be okay. Right? I often do that to my children and I have to be better at that. When they're crying or when they're hurting, it's okay, it's okay. Well, clearly it's not okay because they're crying. Yeah, clearly they have some kind of feel about it. But what I should be doing is saying, I'm here. I love you. I'm here. We're going to figure it out. You're safe. That is, that is true. Right? Mm. But they're not okay. They're safe. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. It's Jesus saying, when you're all inside of your feelings, I'm here. And I will comfort you. And so very often, we want to dismiss our feelings. So very often, we don't want to deal with our pain. So often, we want to just glance over our suffering. And Jesus is saying, no. Jesus' people suffer, they are in pain, and they mourn, and they're good at it. That's weird, isn't it? To think about being good mourners, people that can be actually in touch with your feelings and mourn your loss. And Jesus is not asking us to get over it. Jesus is saying, when you are in pain, when you are mourning, you are blessed. And you will be comforted. I can think of the last year in our church, we've had so much pain. So much loss. We've lost family members. We've lost a lot of the things that were normal for us. And, and in the board, we, we often say that in the last six months or so, we've been trying to provide a little bit of pastoral care for the people in our, in our church family who've lost family members and loved ones. And, and we've been out to the store to get flowers or a plant at least three times, four times, since, e even since Dan left, right? Since we've been doing it. 
Because our church has been warning. There's folks in our church who have lost loved ones. And they are mourning. And we mourn with them. We mourn changes. Mm. Obviously, losing our pastor was not our plan. It was not what we anticipated. We mourn that. And Jesus said, blessed are you when you're mourning, for you will be comforted. God's comfort is coming to those of us when we mourn. And I absolutely love that Jesus is not at all concerned to help us see our own pain and suffering and emotions. He's saying, you will be comforted. If you're suffering right now, God will provide you with comfort. If you're not suffering right now, it is likely that suffering might be coming in the future. But God will comfort you. We don't think of mourning as blessing. And we don't pray for mourning. We don't pray for suffering. That's not what we want. But when we do, we can be blessed because God will be our comforter. So one, Jesus' people are spiritually humble. Two, Jesus' people mourn and they're okay with it. They're okay with confronting their own emotions. Three, I think three is one of the hardest ones. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We have built a whole system that's really based on the opposite of meekness, isn't it? If I was to just say someone is really meek, there will almost be like this pause, right? Like, wait, is that a compliment or is that a backhanded compliment? Jesus is saying that to be Jesus-y people, to be followers of people, We are called to be meek. And then remember, we start with the other part. For they will inherit the earth. Anytime we have this language of inheritance, we're talking financials. We're talking business. We're talking the land and the plots of land that is passed from one generation to the other. We're talking about the whole reason why families are together in this particular world. So Jesus is saying, if you want to inherit a plot of land in the city of God, you have to be meek, gentle, tender. Jesus' people are tender. They're gentle. And that's hard because if if, if you're in the workforce, tenderness is not going to get you a promotion. Right? No. If you... (laughs) When Eden was playing soccer earlier, last year, I don't remember when, she was playing soccer, and I was like, Eden, you have to be aggressive. And I was like, well, for the last five, six years, we've been telling you not to be aggressive, right? And then all of a sudden, they're like, get in there, and like, you know. Sports, tenderness, and sports and competition, they're not the same. The workforce and tenderness, I, like, you're going to get run over. If you're the youngest brother or sister out of three or four, you're probably not tender. 
they'll try to make you tender, but you're not going <laughs> to let yourself be tender, right? You're a fighter. Blessed are the tender and the gentle. The city of man tells you that if you want to make it in this world, you have to be harsh. You have to be bold. You have to really, really, really want it. You have to be a closer. What Jesus is saying is that if you want to inherit the plot of land, we have to be tender and gentle. And I don't know about you, but I don't often pray for myself to be tender. God, please make me more tender. And let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with boldness, and there's a time for boldness. And, and, and there is a difference between being assertive and, you know, respecting your own boundaries and your own self and your body. That matters. But are you characterized as a tender and gentle person? Because Jesus' people are tender and gentle. Gentle with each other with their neighbors. And remember, when Jesus is talking about neighbors, yeah, he's literally talking about the people that live in the plots of land next to yours. But he's talking about your spouse first, your children, your parents, your sister-in-law, your brother-in-law, your aunt, your uncle, whoever lives in your house, that is your first neighbor. And if I'm being honest, that is maybe when I have the hardest time being gentle or tender. I can be real gentle at work. That's just eight hours. The first eight hours too, right? It is my gentleness and my tenderness after work. Towards my spouse. Towards my children. Towards my family and my neighbors. That matters. And your, gentle, your, your meekness and your, your gentleness towards yourself. And that gets back to the spiritual humility piece, right? I can be very, very gentle towards other people and the harshest person with myself. Mm -hmm. The language I use of myself, the image I have of myself, is not gentle sometimes. And we know how negative it is. We know how it has a direct impact on us. And we don't have to have a deluded, a, deluded, a deluded sense of self. We just have to have the same conception of, of us that God has of us. That's all. That you're accepted. That you're good. That God loves you. That you're in. That you're already in. You're, you're, you won already. You're already in. That you don't have to keep on competing. You're in. You're forgiven. Amen. And when we internalize this identity of being forgiven ones, of being people that are already living out the city of God, already inheriting the kingdom of God, then we will tend to make less and less harsh decisions, won't we? When I'm full and I've eaten a huge meal, I'm happy. <laughs> I don't care. The waiter can be late, the, this can be happening, it doesn't matter. But when I'm hungry, then that's when I'm sharp, right? Some of us are still living like we're hungry, but the table of grace is entirely set up there for us to feast. 
mm-hmm. and there's nothing stopping us from feasting. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, come and feast. Come and eat. That's what we celebrate every time we do communion. A abundantly generous God who's saying, come and feast. Don't be hungry. Don't be thirsty. You don't have to be harsh. There is enough to go around in God's kingdom and God's economy. God's people, Jesus' people, are gentle people, are meek, and they're tender. Gentle with your words, with your actions, with your feelings. And I'll give you a tip. If throughout the week you have a moment, maybe you're driving, maybe your spouse is being a little cray-cray or whatever, and you, and you, you feel that boldness and that harshness, identify it. And say, oh, that was a harsh word. Mm-hmm. Call it out. Sorry, honey. What I said was harsh. <clears throat> I meant it. <laughs> but don't say don't mean it. You meant it. If, if you did. But it was harsh. And I, want, I should be speaking more gently. I'm sorry. If we were to start identifying our harsh words towards each other, we would start changing the way we communicate towards each other. Identify harshness. Identify harsh language. <clears throat> Sometimes when you're just having it in your own mental role, right? Oh my gosh, this and that, my coworker, my this, my that. Just identify and say, oh, that was harsh language. I want to be gentle. And then don't be harsh with your harshness. Right? <laughs> don't beat yourself down. But just identify and say, oh, that was harsh language. I want to be gentle. May I be gentle. May I be tender. Lastly, a hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Um, earlier this week, well, this weekend, after the videos were released and everything was happening in the media, I, I went back and I was reading the the letter from uh, the Reverend King to the churches, to the Jewish congregations and Christian congregations from, from the jail in, uh, in Alabama. No, in Atlanta, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Birmingham jail. And I was reminded that there is such thing as complacent passivity, isn't there? And sometimes we can kind of think, oh my gosh, of course I want justice, and of course I want righteousness, and of course I'm against all kinds of violence, but I just kind of want to go back to my home and like eat dinner and watch the news, or Netflix, or Hulu. Jesus is calling us to have not just a passive contemplation of justice, but a hunger and a thirst for justice. One that would actually lead you into action. I am so thankful that I've never in my life been hungry. I've never been hungry. But one time I was thirsty. I was traveling after, after college. Um, I was in, in Jordan in, in the Middle East. And I was staying with Bedouins in the desert. And um, I was supposed to bring my own water. They didn't tell me. Or maybe they did. But I don't speak Arabic. And they didn't speak great English. And... Um, I'm there in the desert, and I, I have completely run out of water. 
And I'm with them, and they're like, oh, no, we don't have any water. Someone's bringing water for us later, later tonight. And this is like in the early afternoon. And it is hot. And it is a desert. And it is exactly what you think. And I am thirsty. And then I'm kind of panicking because I'm like, no, I'm thirsty, thirsty now, right? Like, I was a little like, oh, I need a little bit of water. But now that I realize I have no water, now I need water. And there might be water coming, but not till 10 o'clock at night. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And I tried to, like, be cool about it. For 30 minutes, I'm like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. 30 minutes, an hour later, I was thirsty. And there was other people there that I don't know, <laughs> just other tourists that we were all camping with Bedouins. And some of them spoke English. And I started asking around, does anyone have any extra water? And one person was really kind. And she had uh, like, a, like a thermos that she was drinking off of. I've never met her. I don't know her name. I know nothing about her. But when she offered me water, her water that she had drank from to drink, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm drinking your water, right? I would normally not just drink of the water of a, of a stranger. But I did because I was so thirsty. I was not going to be like, no, 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 I'll, I'll wait for the bottle, you know, for, for, the, for the bottle one, the one that you haven't drank from. No way. If she was offering me water at that moment, I was going to take it. And I did. And I've never been so thankful for a drink of water than when that stranger shared her water with me. I still don't, I mean, I don't know her name. I don't, I don't know nothing about her. But she was generous, sharing some of her water. I think that's the level of thirst and hunger God wants us to have for justice. Start asking around. Start doing something. Be active in making justice happen. Not just talking about it, not just reading on it, not just praying for it. Those things matter. But God wants us to have a hunger and a thirst for justice. And so often Christian leaders have been at, right there at the front line of social change because of this. The abolitionist movement earlier in the 1800s, in the 1700s, in great part, it was fueled by Christian abolitionism. The civil rights movement was fueled in great part because of a preacher, a Baptist preacher. We have a responsibility to be hungry and thirsty for things to be made right. We cannot just have this moderate passivity around great injustice around us. We should be truly hungry and thirsty for justice and for righteousness. To taking care of the poor, taking care of those in prisons, taking care of the destitute, taking care of the sick. And there is so much to do that it should occupy a lot of our time. To do justice. And I worry that sometimes we can be so far removed from this. That we can just look at that one. And like, oh yeah, I like that one. But I'm just going to put it on the wall. Like my grandmother's picture. If you want to be filled by God. We have to be thirsty and hungry for justice. Not just moderately satisfied and thinking about lunch tomorrow, hungry, but actually hungry and actively trying to do something about our hunger and our thirst for justice. 
In another passage, Paul says that we should spend ourselves on the poor. We read the, the, the passage earlier today from, from Micah. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring Him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God Most High with offerings of yearly calves? Meaning, should we just come to church? Should we do the church thing? And God says, no, O people, the Lord has told you what is good, and this is what He requires of you, to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Jesus was not really telling us anything too new, was He? He was just telling us what Micah had telling us. Two, three, four hundred years before that. We're going to continue thinking about these Beatitudes in the sermon. And the ways in which God is calling us to be jesus To act like Jesus. To walk like Jesus. To do the things that Jesus did. And it is hard. It is hard. And that's what he ends. And he says, if you do this, you will be persecuted. And then he says, and be glad about it. That's hard. But this is the call. This is the call to discipleship. This is the call to transformation. To personal transformation and to social transformation. This is what makes Jesus people, Jesus Christians, right? It's this. It's right action, right behavior, and right belief together. This is what Jesus is calling us for. Will you pray with me? Father, we have a hard task in front of us. We, we like coming to church. We like singing. We like our community. But you're calling us to so much more than that. And I ask you, Lord, that you will give us courage. Courage to really see the cost of following you. And being brave enough to do it. God, I pray for our congregation this week as we go about to start our ministries with our loved ones and our work and our school and our, our um, neighborhoods. Will you, God, allow us to be people that are poor in spirit? If there's any pride in us, we want to confess it before you, God, and say, will you forgive us for the sin of pride? We don't want to get ahead of you. We don't want to label people out that you have not labeled out. We don't want to say that someone is not, doesn't belong or is not welcome here when you have told us that you show no partiality. God, we want to be poor in spirit. And would you help us to see that you're a vastly infinite God and we can lean on you and let you be the judge. God, we want to be hungry and thirsty for righteousness and for justice. And there is so much unrighteousness going on in our world today. And we pray, God, that you would make it right. We pray for the families today that are mourning, for those who are suffering. Will you be their comfort? We pray that we will be meek and gentle and tender. As we go about our week and as we start speaking to each other, as we start speaking about each other, may we be completely free of gossip. May we be gentle with our words, with our actions, with our presence. May we be tender. Let us be known as the most tender community in all of Brunswick. 
in the Metcos area. Let us be known as the most gentle community in the entire area because we want to be Jesus' people and act like Jesus' people. So transform our hearts, transform our minds, and our actions. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.